0: This is Severin, your hostess of the day, the hostess of the show called Greenhorn Radio. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers, by young farmers, um, and on behalf of the young farmers, I'd like to be um, welcoming our guest today, Trevor Cockenbuck. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hello. Join, uh, thank you for joining us. Now, um, um. this show is always recorded for the benefit of young farmers, and as someone who is involved in the food system um, in the non-farming capacity, I thought it might be good for you to um, explain a little bit of what you're doing and where you are.
1: Okay. All right, well, yeah. my name's Trevor Clatterbuck, and uh, I started a company two and a half years ago called Fresh Fork Market. I was a student in college at uh, Case Western Reserve University, and I was dining out at a, a local restaurant with um, some fellow classmates. Uh, the restaurant was advertising local. Um, you know, we asked our waitress what was local that night in the middle of August, and she came back with a response that there was nothing local, um, that they had a hard time finding farmers, the price point distribution, uh, communicating with farmers, et cetera. So um, we put together a business plan, kind of pitched it to a few people, and essentially we had customers ready to buy, so we... Uh, Side to, to build out the business model, and we've uh, done so. So essentially what Fresh Fork is today is an eBay for local foods in the Cleveland, Ohio area, and uh, we've got a web-based interface where farmers enter their own inventory, um, put prices, photos, descriptions, etc. The restaurants can go online, purchase that product, uh, and then we serve as an um, uh, outsourced logistics firm in the middle, and we you know, move it from point A to point B with no inventory.
0: Holy moly! And how, so now you've been doing this for how long? And what's your uh, what was your volume starting out? And what is your volume now?
1: Okay. Um, so the concept uh, was in June of two thousand or August of two thousand seven when we had the, the first idea of the concept, and um, you know we put our business plan together through the end of two thousand seven uh, and really started building the technology, etc. And in the beginning of two thousand eight, um, our first sales were in. June of 2008, and uh, that was June 23rd, actually. And by the end of um, October, we had sold uh, 57 restaurants from 36 area farmers uh, in year one there. Um, Last year would have been year two. And um, last year what we did is we expanded that customer base from just restaurants to selling also to residential consumers. Uh, And I'll explain a little bit why we made that maneuver last year. Uh, but we essentially created a CSA-like model, a subscription model. It was a multi-farm CSA that included meats, dairies, uh, pro- you know, all your proteins, your cheeses, your fluid dairy, produce, etc., and gave people a meal plan. And uh, we had 120 subscribers to that last year, and we're looking at uh, about 400 subscribers to that this year.
0: So this has been an incredible boom, boom-like growth of the local food market for the farmers in your network, and maybe you could describe to us who those farmers are um, and how close in they are and, and how the thing happens kind of um, at the end of the truck. Okay.
1: Yeah, so um, I get asked a lot of times about what my definition of local is, and, and I guess it's kind of what, paraphrasing what you said, you're asking. I don't have, um, I don't base local strictly on mileage. Now, in my network, I don't have a farmer outside of the 75-mile radius. I pick up from farmers within a 75-mile radius. The reason I chose that is not because I feel that that's what defines the product as local, but for my logistics model and for my cost model, it's the only number that makes sense. If I doubled it, you know, I would have some problems meeting the, the price points the customers need uh, and things like that. So um, I work with farmers within a 75-mile radius of Cleveland. They're um, all small to medium-sized family farms. Uh, the produce side of it, I think the you know, smallest farm I work with is, is an urban garden. You know, it might be—I don't even know how to describe it. You know, one thirty-second of an acre or something like that. Um, and then the uh, the larger farms I work with, I think the biggest is doing thirty acres produce.
0: So these are really, uh, from a USDA perspective, small farms that you're that you're working with, and That's and pro- they're and they're. Um, the interface with you, how does that work? On Monday, they send in a list. On, uh, how does that happen?
1: No, no. So when we, um, when we started coming up with the, the business idea, what we found out is that finding the farmer's nest wasn't the hard part. I mean, there's plenty of websites that say who the farmers are, et cetera. Um, and I'm going to put a little twist on it. But the problem with one of those things is you always find the same farmers. So the same farmers that go to the farmer's markets find the websites to put their product up on or their contact info, etc. And it becomes this, um, you know, small group of you know, rather specialty producers. When in reality, there's hundreds of more farmers out there in the in the community. So what I've been able to do is is go out and find those producers through town hall meetings, through you know, driving door to door, and really just word of mouth. You know, once you start selling product for one person, they hear it from the other, uh, you know, their neighbor. They're going to call you up and they want to start selling too. Uh, so what the farmers do is once uh, they contact me. And I talk to them about what they produce. I go out and visit their farm. I make sure they're uh, following sustainable uh, production methods, um, and I do that not so much out of um, out of a, a you know, philosophical belief to do that, uh, but I do it because my customers expect, and they're they've kind of got this informal trust that Fresh Fork is delivering them organic or possible. So to uphold that brand image, I need to make sure that the, the products that the producers list on my marketplace are you know, close to that image. So I go out, I talk with the farmers, learn about what they're producing. Then once they're accepted into the Fresh Fork Network, they actually go online each week and they list their products. So they create a product listing, put photos, descriptions, etc., cetera, uh, and say uh, you know, what the price is and what quantity they have available. The customer is then able to make the purchase decision of which farm they want to purchase from, uh, at what price point, and how much they want of it.
0: And they're doing it all on a a digital interface from the back of their kitchen? Uh,
1: Well, wherever their computer is, but yeah. So I have some guys that do it from the BlackBerry in the field.
0: Whoa. Wow. And have you... Have you, in the process of doing this, discovered that you're part of a whole um, kind of newfangled um, web-based distribution tribe? Um, I know some people down in Georgia um, at the Athens uh, Electronic Farmers Market, but Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that many um, other kind of distribution tribes, but maybe you do.
1: I would say with the words you use there, distribution uh, technology that 's where i 'm trying to go with it. I think that i 'm taking an approach that 's you know specifically focused on on uh, distribution and i've 've built so I've, my website is not so much for marketing it 's for um, it's for convenience it offers my customer the convenience of of purchasing uh, without somebody you know, bugging them. It reduces my sales cost uh, and then also at the same time it reduces my um, my transaction costs have happened to communicate with producers, etc. So I use the, the web tool as a, uh, as a distribution tool. A lot of the other uh, websites that I've seen coming out are focused purely on, on the marketing side of things. Um, and you know farmers can list their products all day long on a website, but until somebody's figured out how to get it from point A to point B, it, it doesn't really matter. So, once
0: again, thank you for joining. us on Green Radio. My guest today is Trevor hacking and he's coming to us. The Cleveland area, where he is the mastermind and um, Wizard of Oz behind the scenes on the web, um, creating a structure of relationships that benefit eaters at restaurants, farmers in the fields, and all while maintaining a 75 mile radius trucking route and logistical empire um, with the purpose of bringing that gorgeous food into the city and saving everybody involved um, the headache of managing what we all know to be the quite overwhelming logistics um, yeah. <laughs> of rebuilding our food system. Yeah. Now, um, let's, talk about, let's talk about where this is going to go next. So you developed this program and this website and this set of relationships and um, probably a, a good amount of understanding about the trials the and tribulations of, um, of this particular part of our food system. Where do you want to see your work go, and and will be used to these other towns and cities um, in similar ways?
1: So, uh, I guess where I would like to go with this is that um, what I'm doing here in Cleveland is really you know, trivial compared to the size of the food market. I mean, you know, there's the ag side alone, six hundred billion dollars, and I'm you know this tiny little speck in, in Cleveland right now. Um, I think where I could have the most difference is to help, um, help farmers, small, medium farmers, create a network that they could sell to the existing sales channels. And, um, you know, everyone in, in the local foods arena immediately assumes that uh, selling to, to wholesale or, or grocers or distribution just sounds evil, that you're not going to get a good price point, etc. In reality, though, I, I think it's the, the way in which local foods are going to move out of being a niche market um, and something that 's really uh, quite limited in access and, and often limited to only those of the uh, the most uh, elite ranks of our society uh, and the only way to penetrate the rest of those people and to the, the really have fair access to the food is the, to get it into the hands of the distributors and grocers who who have the sales channels who have the infrastructure to handle the food safely uh, effectively efficiently and and help them do it by solving their pain point of you know how do I find farmers? How do I communicate with them, and how do I, I, make things easier? So, you know the the big thing that there's essentially a communication gap between small farmers and these existing channels. You know how do they package their goods? How do they grade them? Um, what does that customer expect in terms of consistency of the product, uh, a large availability of that product, selection, things like that that the farmers often don't know, and it's scary to figure out in the and the big distributors don't want to take the time to figure out how to teach people to do it. Now I think that my role can be, uh, into the future, you know, helping bridge that gap on education and training uh, and providing the infrastructure, the IT infrastructure, to help uh, farmers work with these existing distributors and grocers.
0: And so for you that means consulting, or that means setting up a franchise from your existing web platform?
1: Uh, I would say closer to the franchise, but not so, uh, i don 't like the word franchise um, I guess license it or essentially what i 'm working on right now is to continue to build fresh fork uh, as a web based application that can service farmers irregardless of where they 're located, and that my role in initially is to jump start those transactions and the jump start so i 'm a catalyst for that. The way that application is structured is that I'm building the core and giving away everything around it, that I want it to be an open-source platform where, you know, if you wanted to design a Facebook integration, you could build it and plug it into my application. And that way it could be something flexible for, you know, the different needs, of the direct market people, the wholesale, the shipper packers, etc., and do something like that. know, um, at the same time, though, put everyone on the same playing field. It's kind of like a stock exchange for food.
0: Um. Okay, this is really fabulous. I like the stock exchange, but even more than that, I like the the Main Street marketplace, the grocers, the independent grocers, the mom-and-pop, and and the middle-scale commerce that um, I see to be a really critical step forward as we think about our food system and formalizing um, formalizing some of the um, relationships that will, of course, allow for economic recovery um, of the farm sector, and, but, but recognizing that that farm sector recovery is deeply linked to, the, um, to that commercial Main Street and to these small and medium-scale businesses that we rely on to be conduits of our, of our product. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the struggles um, of that medium-scale um, commerce sector, those Main Street um, vendors and grocers, what are they facing, and, and how can we as farmers, um, in our interactions with in, at the farmer's market, how can we help our consumers understand um, their position?
1: Okay. Um, I'll address the first half of that first, and then if I get off topic, you know, rope me back in and, and get me back on to, to part two of the question. Um, so regarding the existing mediums here, uh, grocers and retailers, you know, I guess your question is what's what's their challenge with with local foods, and um, I guess I would start at, at identifying what their customers really want. Um, processed uh, or convenience foods or grown sector have been for a long time. Um, prepared foods are, I mean, if a grocery store doesn't have prepared foods, it can't compete anymore hardly. Um, and the the medium tier. Grocers, that's the real differentiation point from a Walmart, from a, a, you know, a traditional, you know, Tops or whoever the the grocery store is that doesn't have that prepared food section in it. Um, And so they have a a chef on on staff, and they can make meals that are affordable, quick, easy for the the working family. So they're looking at at value-added foods, so processed, uh, convenience-type food. They're looking for um, uh, prepared foods. And then I'd say the the other trend is, is kind of that uh, culinary experience thing, and so local I think fits into that culinary experience. That there are some people looking for specialty goods and higher quality goods, um, and it's an attraction point. You know, people love walking into a grocery store and seeing beautiful displays of produce. Um, I think for local foods to fit into these existing mid tier grocers, we need to play to the angle of these are higher quality, fresher products. Uh, they're going to you know, have that wow factor to your customers. And then fill that gap for what their challenges are. You know, how do I get this product efficiently? So I need somebody to, to deliver it to me. I don't want 10 trucks. I want one truck bringing food from 10 farmers. How do I communicate with those farmers? I don't want to call 10 farmers. I want to do it in one stop. Um, essentially recreating that role of a distributor, but in a virtual format. Um, and then, again, the, the food safety aspect, the packaging, things like that, you know, they want all the tomatoes to come in a 25-pound flat. They want to be GAP certified, uh, chilled, et cetera. All the things that the existing food industry has put in place that, you know, really, the grocers need to, to uphold uh, that cold chain. They need to uphold the integrity of the food, the you know, the chain of custody, everything along the way so that um, it's really a liability for me. If they don't have that in, in place, they're violating their own HACCP plan, their own food safety plan, et cetera, and uh, it's going to cost them. So I, I think for local foods to get to that main street America, we need to to replicate or you know not recreate the systems, but uh, participate in a way that's that's comfortable and familiar to that that retailer.
0: And how the, how then is it that you're able to compete? You know what we hear so much um, as farmers is that we want to cut out the middleman because you can get a retail price for your product.
1: No, whoever, really well. whoever at the Research Institute started, you know, promoting that 30 years ago should be ashamed, honestly, and, in my opinion. In my opinion, you know, not worth a whole lot, I guess. But the the whole farmer's market thing, there's a study that came out from California uh, two years back that um, the cost to go to a farmer's market, they compared three size farms in California, a 20-acre farm, and these are what they considered small farms, a 20-acre produce farm, a 60, and a 200-acre. And then they compared their cost to, to market their product through a CSA, through farmer's markets, and through wholesale. And the cost of, to take that product to a farmer's market for the smallest farm, so the price, the, uh, the percent uh, of their revenue that went from, to marketing that product at farmer's market increased um, as the size of the farm got smaller. So um, they had, I think it was 80% of the revenue. So if that farmer brought in $2,000 a day, $1,600 was going towards transportation, labor, packing that product specifically for that, cost, that retail type customer, spoilage at the end of the day, uh, booth fees, things like that. And so I guess I'm kind of getting off the topic here. But, um, That's good. I, I, don't,
0: I like it when you're ranting. Ranting is helpful. Yes.
1: Yeah, well, I don't think that there is a, sp- a place for specialization. Um, in the marketplace and and somebody can you can't be the best grower and the best marketer and the best distributor all in one and be profitable. And so I think there is some value to letting somebody have that role of, of specializing in in the sale or specializing in the customer interface etc and doing that.
0: Well, I think also is the relationship that that you have with your with your end clients and um, the chain of command, and the chain of coldness, and the chain of liability. If all of those participants in that chain are coming from a spirit and a um, and from a position of progress, and who are interested in becoming um, more sustainable, in reducing the distance, in keeping the food fresh, in maintaining high quality standards, I think if um, I think at a lot of that. Um, distrust of the middleman comes from the fact that the middleman hasn't um, been terribly caring or intentional or progressive. And I think that as we discover that this means jobs and this means economic development and this means the capacity to expand your market, um, that farmers and new generations of farmers are increasingly coming to the understanding that you know, hustling your produce all day outside um, can undermine your sanity, and that the alternative, which is working with people like you, um, can give you the capacity to, you know, sell far more volume of food. Um, mm-hmm. and, if we, and if we kind of collectively as farmers are trusting um, people like you as distributors to have the same set of intentions and the same set of values um, and, and care over that food and of the system that, that, that moves that food, that, in fact, that means more jobs, more volume of food, more profitability, um, and more people eating the food that we're growing. So I am really respect the work that you're doing, and I think that the, the dignity of formalizing our, what has been, alternative food distribution network and formalizing it in ways that are similar to but not identical to um, the conventional distribution model, you know, has tremendous power as a, um, as, a, as a wedge in the rediscovery of um, and reconstruction of healthy localized, um, localized food systems and local economic drivers. What I'm interested to know is how do you gauge within your business, um, how do you gauge the impact that this increased uh, sales volume is having for your farmers? And has there been any studies that you know about that demonstrate the incredible potent um, force that this kind of increased um, traction for local foods has, just for just for um, just for local business and, and the local economic development?
1: Mm. Boy, that's um, I personally, from my experience here in, in Cleveland, can't accurately answer that question. Um, you know, I have. Data about sales volume, does it up from my producers. But one of the things that, so even if I have the sales volume of what a producer did through me and the price points, etc., the data points that I'm missing that are required to, to fill in the rest of the equation are, you know, who else did they sell to? At what price price point? What percentage of their product were they able to move? What percentage of their product did they have to plow under the field? Um, how did their inputs change in terms of marketing costs, etc.? Uh, how about their outputs, and and just there's a whole series of different things that, I mean, there's so much data that's outside of, of of my realm of understanding right now that it would take a serious research endeavor to try to figure out what that impact has been, to to get a holistic approach at this. Um, so does that sound
0: second, like a job for the USDA?
1: I, I'm not sure. Um, I would. I will never answer a question saying that I think government should do something for the, to solve the problem. Um, even on the on the research side, there that's something that perhaps for me to do in the in the near future. If I want to market the the website of my business, I need to to find out you know quantitative, quantitatively what that impact has been. On the economic development side, things I think that's a local question. The local economic development. Um, Entities, uh, nonprofits focused on that, et cetera, could potentially take a role on, on figuring out what has been the impact of of um, an alternative or similar distribution network uh, on things like, you know, just the the raw economic change. So, you know, on a cluster level, has it created more tractor sales? Has it created more sales of of um, maintenance services? Is the price of food up? Are they moving a higher percentage of their product, etc.? And then on a second uh, side of it, are we incur, are we making a market opportunity for new producers, uh, young producers, um, and making that market viability component? I think if if we can make that the strongest argument, that's uh, we can have a long term, lasting effect on on uh, agriculture.
0: I would totally agree with you on that point. There's many towns where you talk to folks and they say, "Yep, um, you know, Eugene, Oregon." Arcana, California. Those are two towns I know. Kind of, I've just been up in the northwest, where you know the farmers market is saturated, and you just can't sell much more um, direct in those places. So,
1: well, and you're limited at a farmers market to the number of people you can see in front of you, and the number of people you can tell your story to. So it's it's a you can't broadcast your message. Um, And and at least here in Cleveland, the farmers markets are to the point that they're starting to cannibalize each other. That you know, there's a new farmer's market, seems like, popping up on every corner once a year, and they all want to use the same farmers, and they're really drawn from the same customer base.
0: Yeah. And it's exhausting.
1: <laughs> I yeah, think that, I, I um,
0: obviously, 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 there's always going to be room for farmer's markets, and, you know, we'd love to see more farmer's markets that don't require the farmers to get up at three in the morning and <laughs> drive four hours and set up a tent and... Work a seventeen-hour day. Um, I, and, think but they're they're I think
1: the customer demographic will be changing, come too, because who who do you see at farmers markets? Not people my age or your age. Are not overwhelmingly.
0: Mhm. And so, so, what are some of the other? No. What are some of the other venues that you think might pop up, other than restaurants and grocers? Um, do you see any other kind of emergent um, commercial spots where this food is going to move, and especially within? you know, in our age group and, like, work at the workplace?
1: I think that there's going to be an increase in um, concierge-type uh, services that at least, and, and, you know, my crystal ball has never been completely accurate. So um, I will you know, put that disclaimer in there. But I think that you're going to see a, a trend towards people wanting to move, um, you know, the, the customer base that we're talking about, college-educated, uh, young professionals, wanting to live in the cities in the trendy areas. Um, wanting to have an active lifestyle, and an active lifestyle doesn't mean, you know, satisfying my basic needs of, you know, shopping for groceries and, you know, going and doing laundry and this, this, and that. And I think there's an opportunity in the market for, you know, different types of concierge services that would bring uh, that type of service to their their apartment complex, things like that. And so, um, in terms of different markets, I think that direct to your door. Uh, you know, market where you really don't you don't have that face to face connection might be the one of the, the future opportunities.
0: We're back to the milkman. Yes, and in, and in fact, we're learning. You know, the mail has always been delivered by hand straight to you at the door, but we're starting to learn that you know through the magic of computers and logistics, and you know we know from UPS when they made this amazing computer program that helped them to make more turns on red. You know how many. How much carbon they save by by taking routes that allow them to turn right on red, and how much more efficient it is in some instances to move things um, in a in a coordinated way to individual users and users than it is for all those end users to go milling around um, looking for parking in Park Slope, which is a major problem. If you if you're ever in Park Slope, you'll notice it's a major problem. Um, and I agree with you so much, and I want to make sure that you know about the model um, in New York City called Sweet Deliverance, which is basically like a CSA lunchbox where you oh, get that, every week a cool. delivery of beautiful food. And it seems like your crystal ball is pretty accurate um, to the way that I can see the world. Um, Trevor, we're getting to the end of our time. I just wanted to give you um, a second to tell us how to get in... How to learn more about your project, um, and what what you've been reading lately that's been inspiring and informing your your insight about where this where this world and this work is going, and how people who might be who might feel themselves to be um, involved in a in a commercial way um, and as their life's work in figuring out this really critical in between uh, component in our food system where they might start to learn what they need to know. To get started down that path.
1: Okay, um, I guess the first part, how to get in contact with me or learn more, is uh, just simple. Go to my website, freshforkmarket.com. Uh, the middle word there is uh, fork, like uh, the kitchen utensil, knife, uh, fork, and spoon, uh, as opposed to the uh, the livestock animal. Um, so, freshforkmarket.com. Um, and then the uh, the second part there, you know, what have I been reading that's been inspiring, etc. I'm not saying I don't read, but I'm a skeptic of everything I read. Um, and I'd say that the best knowledge that I have gained from about this industry is by getting out and actually talking to people So uh, and talking to people who disagree with you. Um, and I would say that's the number one way. The second way is, at least in the business sense, you can ask people all day long if they want to buy something, but the only test of, of that is if you try to sell them. So I, I'd say I learned the most about my industry through... Talking to different people, going to different conferences, you know, getting out there, doing things like this, getting on the phone with interesting people, uh, and then the second thing is just trying to sell some sort of service or product, etc., to that person, and, and you know, learning from them what their need is.
0: Well, so that here that you heard it from you heard it from the top, uh, folks, get out there and do something, and uh, you'll learn a lot. Now, <laughs> I want to thank you so much, Trevor, for being such an interesting person on the phone, and. To encourage everyone to think more about um, the ways in which we are collectively re envisioning um, the systems and processes that will bring the fresh food that we want to the, to the uh, lunch boxes of the kids that are even, some of them, not born yet, um, and really proactive um, as we establish institutions um, around that intention. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you all. This has been Greenhorn Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers. Um, I want to make sure that everyone knows this weekend, Greenhorns Mixer. We've got a really great one coming up in the Sea Bank. It's the Baker Creek Heirloom Sea Bank in Petaluma, California. It's an old bank converted into a Sea Bank. Um, we've got 600 oysters, fabulous live music. We're screening a film called Northern Lights about the um, socialist farmers' movement in 1912 in North Dakota with a fabulous documentary, film, trilogy, um, Fabulous Cheese, uh, Trumer Pills, which is a Berkeley Berkeley brewed beer, um, young farmers, beginning farmers, aspiring farmers, urban, rural, interns, apprentices. Um, they're all going to be there, and we'll all be sharing what we know about and care about together and um, confabbing within our producer community about the scene as it evolves and our role in it, Um, We had a really nice time last week at the Small Farmers Journal, and we're going to have a really nice time on May 1st um, in in Connecticut. So things are going well. I hope that you're nearby one of those events. You'll join in, and if you want to do your own event one of these days, just let us know. Uh, Thank you, Hearst Ranch. Thank you, Heritage Radio. Thank you all. Bye-bye.